0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they're leaving, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our series from there. When I was 10 years old, my family moved and started a course of events in which I moved a lot and and was moving. So we moved to Bolivia. My parents became missionaries in Bolivia and South America, and we moved from there. We were there for four and a half years, and then I came back. We came back to Seattle for two years, and then I went back to Bolivia for my senior year of high school. And then I went to college, and my parents stayed in Bolivia. And so I have these boxes of things that were saved at these different times where our family moved. And it's this weird little window of history into things that were like a little time capsule of things that were either important to my mom that were mine that she wanted to save or things that became important to me as I got older. And when I was in college, my parents were in Bolivia, so like everything I owned was either in storage at my grandparents' house or could fit in my car to drive back and forth to school. So I didn't have a whole lot. So I brought a few of these things to show to you. One of them is significant. We just had our Awana graduation this week. How cute is this, right? My cubby vest. It's pretty great. I got all my patches. Pretty proud of that. Uh, baseball mitt. One of the things as I was going through these boxes this week, uh, a lot, a huge theme was baseball in all of these things. I have a paper that appears to have been printed on one of those, uh, the, the kind that you had to rip off the, I don't know what they called. You guys know what I'm talking about. This is a, a paper that I must have written in elementary school. It involves me, Michael Jordan, and a couple other people who must have been my friends. And, and we scored like four million points in a game. <laughs> it's riveting. It's, it's based on, and just a bunch of squiggle books. Here's, here's another one. This, this one is great. So this is a baseball card album. We lived in Minneapolis for a while. And I have, my favorite player was Gary Gaetti, which most of you probably don't even remember who that guy was, but he had the same name as me and he played for the Twins, which is where we lived. And so I have a whole book of baseball cards of Gary Gaetti that are filled here. I'm probably the only kid that collected Gary Gaetti baseball cards, <laughs> but I have a whole book of them, which is really pretty cool. I have some pictures from when we were in Bolivia. These are great. I'll show you these if you want to come look at these. I had a pretty sweet jacket, and my dad did too. It was pretty, anyway. And then and then, uh, last one here is my September journal. This one I was reading with the boys this week because I was, oh, yeah, inside of it. This is when I was a ring bearer at a wedding. Pretty cute. <laughs> this is from 1989, a journal that I had to keep, I assume, for school. First entry Tuesday, September 12, 1989. When I get older, I'd like to be a baseball player. I want to be in the Hall of Fame well didn't happen, but <laughs> anyways, so all of these things are there's just like this weird little i mean not weird we probably all have things like this that are in storage in your parents' house or in your house or things that your your family has saved for you or that you've saved for your kids of uh, things that that you don't really remember you don 't really think about, but when you actually pull them out and pull out the boxes and think of, and and see them it It shows and it reveals a little bit of who you were at that time. And you can even see a little bit of who you are today in who you were back then. See the ways that you've grown and see these things that really have come to define you and and come to be to make up who you are today. And this is that question is what makes you you? What are the things? What are the experiences? What are the what are the things that you would point to? the choices. It's it's the sum of all of these activities and events and and stuff that you have done throughout your life that have made you the person that you are today sitting here on the corner of 185th and 1st Shoreline, Washington. All of these things have led you to this point and, and make you who you are. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3 talks about these things. He talks about Things that identify us, things that are identity markers, things that that we would point to and hang on to and say, this is who I was and this is who I've become. And so as we read in Philippians three, I want us to think about who who what makes you you and what are the things that have come to define you and the choices that you make even today that are still defining who you are becoming. So in Philippians chapter three, Paul says this, he says further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So first of all, let's take a pause here and, and notice the contrast between those two verses. It says, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to say this to you. And then he quickly, it's like a hard stop transition to watch out for those dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. It's like, whoa, Paul, where'd that come from? <laughs> and, and it's a, a quick transition to, from, from rejoicing to watch out. Watch out for the dogs, for the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So the so question is, what is he, how is it that we've just been talking about, we talked last week about Timothy and, and the work and the fellow, the work that they were doing together, and he, and he transitioned to this idea of rejoice in the Lord, and then it's this hard switch to watch out for these dogs. What is Paul talking about here? what's going on well there's there's a context that that as we read through the book of acts and we read through some of all other, paul's other writings that he's warning against so i invite you to turn to acts chapter 15 and see exactly what paul is talking about here and where this transition comes from and and what we'll see as we come to the end of our, our study this morning is that this isn't actually such a hard turn that Paul is making, but he's, he's drawing out something particular that he wants them to understand. And he wants us to understand. So in Acts chapter 15, Paul and his, and his traveling companions have just come back from what's known as his first missionary journey. So he's been traveling around to the, mostly in the area of what is modern day Turkey. And he's been going to these places and he's been starting churches. He's been going into synagogues and, and preaching about Jesus. And typically what would happen, is his pattern was he would, he would teach in the synagogue for a while. Eventually the people in the synagogues would say, we don't want you teaching this in the synagogues anymore. So he would leave the synagogue and he would go and teach probably in, in a home of somebody or, or other places. And these churches would, would form. And but a unique thing about these churches is that they were made up not just of Jews from the synagogue, but you also had these Gentiles, these non-Jews who were taking interest in this idea of this Jewish Messiah that Paul was talking about also being not just a savior for Israel, but a savior for the world. And and they're being drawn to this and they're being converted and they're becoming Christians, they're becoming believers in jesus and so paul returns from this missionary journey comes back to jerusalem and we're told that as he's reporting back to the to the believers and he's giving this this news in he he was in antioch for a while he's in jerusalem it says then in verse five then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the pharisees stood up and said the gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of moses The apostles and elders met to consider this question the rest of chapter 15 is this discussion that these these pharisees who if you know anything about the pharisees one of the things that they were very very keen on was the importance of israel obeying the law this is what God, the law that god has given us to instructed us to follow and here are the things that that we need to do and and they were really diligent about this which is which was good this is what god wanted them to do israel was supposed to follow the law but the question now is, you have these Gentiles who are coming to Christ, and certainly we have known for thousands of years, here are the things that God's people are supposed to do, right? The men are circumcised, but you have to eat kosher, you have to, you have to worship on certain days. There are certain practices that we have known for literally millennia of this is what it means to be God's people. This is how we're supposed to live. So yes, great. The Gentiles, it's, it's wonderful that God is welcoming in these Gentiles, but this is part of what it means to be God's people. So certainly these Gentiles need to fall in line. And so the, the apostles, Peter and Paul and James, they, John, they have all this conversation around this and they meet and they discuss it and they, they look at what God has been doing in The lives of the gentiles the things that they're seeing and they say actually we don't think that this is something that god is requiring of the gentiles and so they say no we're we're not going to put this burden on them that they have to the men have to be circumcised that you have to follow all of these strict laws in order to be saved we see that god is working outside of that and so they write a letter and they send it back with paul to these churches and they give the instructions but that's not the end of the story for Paul and one of the things that we see if we were to continue reading through Acts is that these what what come to be known as judaizers follow Paul around and follow him to the to the churches that he's planting and and are trying to continually bring this message that gentiles it's great that you're coming to Christ but this is what you have to do in order to really be in to really be God's people this is what is required of you, and so there's this conflict. The book of Galatians is six chapters where Paul is addressing this head on to these, to these churches in the area of, of Turkey, and he's saying, "No, this. There are these people who are telling you this message, but this is not of God." And so he says here, "Watch out for those dogs," which is he's, he's twisting some words. Dogs is a, is a term, a a derogatory term that, that religious Jews would have for non-Jews, for Gentiles. And so Paul is twisting that. He's saying, it's actually these Judaizers who are the dogs. He says the, the Judaizers were ones that were emphasizing doing good works. And he's saying, these are the ones who are evildoers. They're emphasizing circumcision. And he says, he calls them mutilators of the flesh and you see the way that he's twisting and turning their words back on them and saying, these people are teaching a message that is, uh, goes against what God would have for you. So he says, watch out for them. He's making a parody of their claims to righteousness. And he says, he continues on, he says, look, we are the ones who are the circumcision." We are the ones who worship, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. And we're putting no confidence in the flesh, in what we do. And then he says this. He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. says, I had all these things that the Judaizers are trying to get you to grab onto. I had all the status. I have all the status. Like, if if we're going to be comparing who's more righteous and who's doing it more rightly, I'm going to win that. I'm going to win that battle. But... He says in verse seven, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let's take a pause here for a second because as we talk about this world of, of Paul here and, and the idea of these Judaizers and the, this seems, can seem very far removed from us. Almost all of us in this room were born Gentiles, yeah? Right? There's never really been any pressure in our lives to say, there, "Here's here's the laws." Most of us, I would say, if we're not vegetarians, are fine eating bacon, you know, that, those kinds of things. So there, there's a way in which this context and this this struggle that Paul is dealing with can seem 2,000 years removed from us, and we feel like well, that's not really an issue we have to deal with today. Glad that they worked that one out, like. We're, we're good to go. But how many of us have had experiences, have met people, have had conversations, have been made to feel as though when it comes to what it means to be a Christian, there's a little bit more that we have to do or be in order to really be a good Christian. How many of you have had that experience? Most most of you. The rest of you maybe have, but don't want to say it. But we have we we have in our lives, right? We know people, we've heard we hear messages that to really be spiritual, to really be in with God, like here are the things that we really need to do, right? I mean, if if you're if if you really want to have a relationship with God, you got to be. Here's here's the times that you have to be praying, or here's how much you should be praying. Here's how much more you should be spending in Scripture. Here's we have all kinds of experiences in our lives that say here's what really measures up in the sight of God. And on the converse side of that, we probably have also, if we're honest. Felt that way about ourselves towards someone else. That we feel pretty confident. I mean, look at all you guys are here on a holiday weekend, right? Some people are out at the cabin or out at the lake, but you guys are here, right? You're, you're the spiritual ones. (laughs) You're the real Christians. I mean, we all have, we all have these moments in our lives, these experiences, these times, and, and probably not proud of the ways if we, if we stop and think of it. We say, man, we roll our eyes at so-and-so who just can't seem to get it right. And we feel that way in... can can feel confident in, well, we are a church that teaches the Bible. We have got our theology centered. We feel pretty good about our views. And it goes beyond just our, our theology and our spiritual life. I mean... How many? How often are we comparing ourselves as in our identity as a mother or a father or a son or a daughter? Uh, how much are we comparing ourselves to how, how much we make versus how much somebody else makes? How much we can produce, the contributions that we bring to work versus what our coworkers bring to work? How athletic we are? Do are, are we starting for the varsity team or JV or am I coming off the bench? Our, our status and what sport do I play? What position do I play? And are all these things that we experience. How successful am I? How attractive am I? How funny am I? How much do I read my Bible? How much am I serving in church? How much am I giving? Who did I vote for? Who did I not vote for? Do I think right about these issues that are coming up today and other people are not thinking rightly about these things? Do I care more passionately about issues than other people? Am I more well read? And we, the list can go on and on and on about things that we can either feel self-satisfied and self-righteous and confident in ourselves about, or conversely, things that we feel like we just don't measure up. And our society is constantly inviting us to measure ourselves against one another. And the result is either either a sense of self-satisfaction and self-righteousness or it's shame. Right? How many of you have experienced this? Yeah. We know this to be true. Paul says, if anyone has reasons to boast, I got them. I have the reasons to boast. He says, watch out for these people who are going to say that you don't measure up. Watch out for the people who are saying you are not enough. You are not good enough. You need to do more. And he says, the implication I think also is don't be those people. Don't be those people who are telling others and making others to feel you're not enough. He says this, he says, all of these things that were gains to me, all of these things that formed my identity, all of these things that made me who I was and the the things that I had to boast in, he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Christ. And then he says this, he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss, all of these other things, not just these things that were gains to me in what my practices and what I had done, my zeal, but all things I consider a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. A couple things that are going on here. So he says, he talks about this idea of my righteousness. And again, this is a big word, righteousness. It's a, it's a, Biblical words, a church word that we throw around a lot that we don't often stop to think about. But the idea of righteousness is the thing that it makes me right would be a simple way to think of it. The thing that makes me right with God. And he says this thing that makes me right is not my own. It's not something that I've done. It doesn't come from obeying this law that has been given to me, but it comes and it is found through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. There's an interesting thing there. If you have a newer translation, you may have a, a different phrase there. or You might have have it in your footnotes. And a, lot of, a lot of current scholarship is, is debating this question of what actually is Paul saying here when he says through faith in Christ. Because there's a preposition there that could go a couple ways. And we don't have to get into all the weeds of all of that. But you may have in your Bible, you may have in your footnote of your Bible that instead of saying through faith in Christ, it says actually through the faithfulness of Christ. How many of you have that in a footnote or somewhere? Yeah. So through the faithfulness, that this righteousness comes not of my own, not through obedience to the law, not through following the law, but it actually comes through the faithfulness of Christ through Christ's faithfulness is where we obtain this righteousness and it's actually you could go either way but I I think it I would say as I've done my very minimal reading on this I would say it's it's almost like it's it's both this isn't an either or but the the possibilities of translation that because Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 which we looked at just a little bit ago that it's because of christ's faithfulness through his obedience and his service that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess so this righteousness that we have been given certainly has come through christ's faithfulness but it also comes through our trust in christ's faithfulness and through our trust in the work that is done but i want to just draw out this idea as we think about what does it actually mean if, if we, if we read this as Christ's faithfulness, that all of the striving, all of the work that we do to be enough, the message that Paul is reminding us of in Philippians is not about your faithfulness. It's not about your ability to get it right it's not about your ability to check off the boxes of spirituality and say okay i've i've done what needs to be done to be right with god that the one who has done what needs to be done to be right for you to be right with god is christ And it's not your faithfulness. It's not your ability to somehow muster up enough faith in the moments of darkness and doubt and struggle. It's not dependent on what you can do to get there. It's the fact that Christ has already done it on your behalf. And it's his faithfulness that we depend on. And it's his faithfulness in which we put our trust, that he is doing and has done the work. So for Paul, as he's confronting the Philippians and he's warning them against these people who are saying, actually, let me give you a list of things that you need to do. He says, no, 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 Christ has already done all that needs to be done. And for us today, 21st century, we're bombarded with these messages of you're just you don't measure up to these people around you and you're not quite getting it and the message for us is you don't have to get it. Christ has already done the work for you. And it's simply up to us to trust in his faithfulness. And he invites us to do that. And so, going back all the way to verse 1, Paul has begun this section where he says, Further, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it is a safeguard to you. A safeguard, like this warning to protect you from the tendencies that you will have and the pull that our world will draw towards you, the pull that other people will say that you are not enough. And I'm telling you, do not find your joy in these things. Do not rejoice in what you are able to muster up to be somehow to be right with god instead find your joy in the lord and what he has done on your behalf how many of you seen or or that show on netflix the the what is it the joy of tidying up or the art of tidying up have you seen that on netflix no a few of you okay this is this cultural phenomenon that's going around of people are into some of us uh, i'm i won't say us cuz i don't i watched one episode but this woman goes into people's homes and she helps them clean up she helps them tidy up and her whole part of her whole thing is as you're going through all the clothes and the accumulation of stuff that you have right the accumulation of stuff in our lives that we that we have and you're deciding do i keep this Or do I toss it? The question that she asks people is, you're supposed to hold the thing in your hand and you ask yourself, does this bring you joy? And if, I I think the the phrase that, she's she's Japanese and so they translate, does it bring you joy? Does it spark joy? When you touch it, does it, and if it doesn't, if you have to think about it, then you get rid of it. And if it does spark joy, you hang on to it. Say, okay, this is something we're going to keep. And this is the question that, That we are invited to reflect on today as we think about all the accumulation of stuff in our lives, all the things that make you who you are, all the things that have have defined you and have caused you to compare yourself or to measure up or all of the things that we have made that have accumulated to make you the person you are today. And the question is, what brings you joy? Where do you find your joy? And the invitation of Paul, the invitation here in Philippians 3 is to not find our joy in any of the stuff, in any of the ways in which we measure up, but find our joy in the work that Christ has done and to rejoice in the Lord. This is the safeguard. That there will be times where we want to rejoice and we want to find identity and, and worth from something else. And instead he's calling us back to hold on to Christ and his faithfulness. And to hear the good news that he has done the work for you. There's nothing more that you have to do other than to rejoice in him let's pray God we thank you that you are a God who is faithful when we cannot muster up faithfulness we thank you that you are working and that your work is not dependent on our own ability to get it right, that it's already been done through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that His faithfulness, His obedience, His service invites us into a life where there isn't a checklist of things that we have to get done in order to find rest and peace in you but it's a life where it's already given to us, where we can just breathe and say, thank you. God, may we be a people who finds joy in the Lord. May we be a people who find joy in the life that you offer us free. Pray this in your name. Amen. So look at my own life and I reflect on what we've been talking about. I realize that probably true for most of us, certainly true for me, is that I often am like the Judaizers in areas of my life. And there are other ways where I need to be that I am uh, struggling to measure up. And some ways in which I compare myself when I, I look down on others because of my own self-righteousness. And then there are other areas where I feel like just trying and striving. And so my guess is the same is true for you as you think about your own life. And so my my invitation and and our, our blessing for us as we leave is may you rejoice in the Lord. May you invite others to see the ways in which God has done the work for them. And when you see, have the tendency to look down on others, may you, as Paul says in Philippians 2, may you instead consider others better than yourselves. And in the areas where you are struggling to feel like you don't measure up, may you know that you don't have to. And may you accept the work that Christ has done on your behalf and rest in the peace that he gives because he cares for you.